Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I am here. I've been looking forward to this all week. It's good to, good to spend some time with some people that care about food. I have a big feeling in my heart that I just want everybody to get enough sleep, eat right, have a good day. I feel like this makes me very boring, but it also... It's hard to do. We have a whole world that does not want those things to happen, right? Everybody just wants us to spend money and never sleep. Just keep our attention on our screens at all times. I'm against it. I'm not doing it. All right. Here's what I got for you today. We're going to talk about some asparagus recipes. We are going to possibly talk to somebody about gamay. That's a wine. Because what about sitting on your deck? You got that lined up? Some deck, somewhere, sitting in the sun. Don't you miss the sun? I miss the sun so much. I'm so happy it's here. Thank you. And most significantly, I have got someone right here in the studio with me who is behind a company called Revel Greens. So it's not just um, not just salad. It's more than salad. It's Jay Johnson is here, and Jay Johnson started Bushel Boy Tomatoes. I buy Bushel Boy Tomatoes all the time, right? They've kind of changed winter tomatoes in Minnesota because they're in a greenhouse, but they're good. Eat a ton of them. I actually have a little light on my counter, so I get them, and then I even ripen them further. It's the best system in the world for feeding children. Um, And so he started that, sold that in 2011, started Revel Greens, and I know that you guys are interested in where all these greenhouses came from, how they work. Uh, Jay Johnson is probably one of the people in the country who knows most about all of this, and he's here, and we're lucky. So, Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, I am – there you are. Okay, everything's good. Uh, So here's what I want to know first. You grew up in farm country, right? Yes, I grew up around Albert Lee, so southern Minnesota. So the you're used to seeing corn in the fields, soybeans in the fields. Correct. I grew up actually working weekends on a farm and farming. All right. And then one day you were like, you know what? This needs is a roof and some walls. <laughs> what was your what was your eureka moment where you thought I'm going to into greenhouses? I was working uh, at that point in the meat business. It was my first job out of college, and I had a, f- a friend of mine and. I had read something about this and decided that we would try it for tomatoes in, a, in the greenhouse. Because that's a big investment, right? If you want to just grow tomatoes, all you need is some dirt outside. But if you want to grow tomatoes in a greenhouse, you got all kinds of, you need a, some wires and some all kinds of things. Yeah, it is very expensive. The first greenhouse we built was an acre and it was, I can't remember the price at the time, but it was expensive. I, for the magazine, I was just. I'm working on a story on the Como Pavilion, you know, the big Marjorie McNeely famous 
Conservatory. Mm-hmm. That well, they had this plaque up on the wall, and it said they built that for fifty thousand dollars in you know whatever it was nineteen fifteen. All I could think was like fifty thousand dollars. You can't even get a garage built for that uh, in a lot of neighborhoods. Yeah, the new modern greenhouses now are very expensive to build. So you built that first one, and that was somewhere around Owatonna? Yeah, in Owatonna, that was 1989. 1989. And you were kind of right there when people were just starting to figure out, if we want to be healthy, if we want to have better lives, we need to get some vegetables in the mix. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning of uh, people eating healthier. And so tell me about that early thing. Did your neighbors think you were nuts? Yeah, a lot of people didn't think it would work to grow uh, tomatoes year-round in the greenhouse. And why did you pick when you started? I know this is ancient history for you, but I'm very curious. Why did you start with tomatoes? Tomatoes is one that you can make a big difference in if you're close to the market because uh, if you harvest them in Mexico or Florida, you have to pick them green so they can travel up here, and then they're, they used to be gassed red. So and they, that's everybody knows that that terrible winter tomato that has that kind of just tastes like a, a block of snow or something like that. Right, it's it? kind of pinkish on the outside and you cut it open and sometimes it's green in the middle. So what we try to do is duplicate what you get out of your garden. What you have to do is let the the fruit ripen on the vine before you harvest it. All right. Now I want to talk to you about the sun. Do we? <laughs> so obviously the reason that we don't have, you know, peaches growing here and everything is because our days are short and it gets cold. Is that, what is that in a greenhouse? Is that an obstacle? Is that an opportunity? What do you do with the temperature and the day length for greenhouses? Yes, that is a problem in Minnesota because the days get so short in the winter and the sun is at such a low angle to the south that it's not very intense. So we have we use uh, in our greenhouse LED lights to lengthen the day, and if it's cloudy days, we'll run it all day. So about three four months out of the year, we use those lights plus the sun, and then the rest of the year we just use sun. So we use about eighty percent natural light, twenty percent uh, LED lights. Well, that seems like a good. And did you have to wait for lighting technology to to get up to you? I mean, are these LED lights, like, do they mimic the sun's rays? Or Yes, the, the technology and lights is changing really fast. The lights we used to have in our old company were high-pressure sodium bulbs, which take a lot more electricity. And this, these, new ball, or these new lights are LED lights, especially made for lettuce that we're growing. So it has a combination of oh, blue really? light, red light, white light that's most beneficial to the lettuce, so then the electricity you're using to run the lights is is you're getting the most out of those dollars of electricity. So that's where technology has gotten to, that you can get a specific light for a specific, what do I want to say, species, variety? Specific crop, yep. Oh, okay. So, so you design it for the crop you have, and then the LED lights use much less energy to begin with. Interesting. Okay, so I feel that... Where is greenhouse technology? Like, where is the Silicon Valley of greenhouses? Is it the Netherlands? It's in the Netherlands. Everything that we have, I'd say 90-some percent of our new new facility is designed, built, or came from the Netherlands. 
but they're not they're not investors they're not like behind this it's just you go and you get the technology from the dutch well my two of my partners are dutch oh they are yeah one lives over there and is a consultant worldwide and the other one was my partner at bushel boy so they grew oh. up in the greenhouse vegetable industry Oh, it's so in- – I find this all so interesting. And is Minnesota unique in ha- in being able to support these businesses? Or if I lived in, you know, Idaho, would these- this also be going on? It is becoming more popular across the nation. So it's not just Minnesota. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about this new company. It's Revol Greens. And the, the distribution you have is astonishing. I mean, so this is not a, a you know, a – you know, a rare elite product that only a few people can get. This is available um, at, you know, Cub Foods and uh, Hy-Vee stores, Coburn's, Lunds and Byerly's. I'm oh, not Cub Foods. The Hy-Vee's, the Coburn's, the Lunds and Byerly's. Um, there's also a bunch of demos going on today. You may see them if you're out and about um, at the different Hy-Vee's. But so tell me, what? Why did you decide to go into next greens? Actual, you know, salad greens, little romaine, uh, spinach, these kind of things. Uh, I was actually, I was uh, after I sold Bushel Boy in 2011. I took some time off, and two of my partners from Bushel Boy, Steve Amundsen and Marco De Bruin, uh, they were consulting for other growers around the U.S. and they saw an opportunity and. and put this system together by kind of traveling the world and the country to see what worked and what didn't work and decided uh, growing baby lettuce is what we grow. Mm-hmm. It's four to five inch maximum leaf length. Uh, was a good opportunity. So they asked me to join them about a year and a half ago. So there's five of us partners involved in this. All right, so you decided that this was the good opportunity just because people are buying a lot of this kind of baby lettuce spring mix? Yes, that and it's all probably 90-some percent of lettuce products is grown in Yuma, Arizona in the winter. Oh, yeah, and we could talk about that, right? In, we're suddenly all aware yeah. of the Yuma the Yuma situation right. because they they grow, the, it's just so concentrated. They grow all the lettuce and all of a sudden they're having an E. coli problem. So the whole country is having an E. coli problem. Correct. Then they move up to Salinas, California the rest of the year. So all of that lettuce for North America is trucked. And lettuce has very little weight to it, especially when you package it like we That's do. That's true. So it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. So you take the freshness away from it and... Uh, you take it home, the stuff is much older, and it doesn't last in the refrigerator. So the opportunity for us was to be close to the market and sell it to this market, harvest it today, and deliver it tomorrow. All right. So let's let's kind of talk about some of these things. So when you grow them, if I came into your greenhouse in southern Minnesota – are they growing in water? Are they growing in dirt? Are they growing in like a, a special uh, crystal matrix? Like what do they grow in? Our The system we're using is a combination of hydroponics and traditional growing. So we do use dirt. And we start with a hard styrofoam board that's about two feet wide by four foot long. And there's about ten grooves in there, an inch deep and about an inch apart. We fill those grooves with dirt. We have a machine that does that. Put the seeds on top of it, maybe uh, seven, 800 seeds per board like that. 
Then they are stacked. Um, the, the dirt is wet. And then the boards are stacked on pallets, and we put them in a germination room for four to six days. And a germination room is dark. It's about 95% humidity and 60 degrees. And that softens the seed coats up evenly, so you get good, even germination. After the four to six days, we bring those boards out, and there's a flume like a water park would have for kids with water flowing by, and we put these boards in there, and it floats them all the way to the east end of our greenhouse. Oh, so there's a bunch of baby seeds in a row on like a raft floating through a greenhouse? And at that point, they're just germinating, so they're just starting to stick up. All right, so I personally have some sunflower seeds in an egg carton back by the garage right now. It's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is different. <laughs> All right, so these these uh, <laughs> these seeds are on these rafts, kind of floating to the very back of the greenhouse. And when you say the back of the greenhouse, like it's not a it's it's a it's a is it as big as an airplane hanger? Big as a football field? What do you it's, say? It's uh, three hundred feet long, so it's uh, three football fields long, and it's about one football field wide. It's two and a half acres of greenhouse, one room inside there. Wow, and so these little seeds are on their little raft, and they yeah. go down. And the, from there, they get taken out of the flume, put into one of five ponds, and over a 17-day period, they are pushed from the east end of the greenhouse to the west end of the greenhouse. And when they get to the west end, 17 days later, the leaves are five inches tall. We put them back into the flume, and they go up through an automatic harvester that separates the leaves from the boards. Oh, so there's not like a, a lady named Gladys snipping them. You got a, ro- a robot. So it's uh, just a harvester with a with blades in it. Harvest it, then we immediately chill it and pack it in the packages like I brought for you. Interesting. So it's almost I don't want to say a factory because that sounds unlovely, but it's a a very technologically advanced way to get a lettuce to grow. Yes, and so we're trying to control all the things that we need for lettuce. So it's the light, it's the heat, it's the humidity, temperature. We're, uh, the CO2 in the building, plants use CO2, give off oxygen, so we have to add CO2 to the room. <clears throat> Interesting. So I think that people's first you know, gut reaction of mine is that it's cold. Like how, do you, how does the energy equation for this work? Do you have... You know, advanced energy usage. Do you drill into the Earth's magma core, or what do you do to to make the energy equation work? We use uh, hot water heat that goes through a system of steel pipes in the greenhouse. So the water is always flowing through those pipes. We just change the temperature of it. So we have a closed system with this water in it. So we don't add water, take it out. It just goes out around the greenhouse, gets cold, goes through a a boiler that we have, gets heated back up, and goes around again. But these boilers are specially made for greenhouses, and we take the stack, the exhaust off the stack, and that is pure CO2, and we pump that into the greenhouse for the plants to use. Oh, very interesting. So you're not t- – imagine you have you know some water coming in and going out because the greens themselves hold water. Yeah, that, that's a different – yeah, the heat system is a totally different water system. And we have the water that we give the plants, which is rainwater we collect from the roof. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's rainwater you collect from the roof? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what we get all of our water for the growing. We have a large covered pond outside that collects all the roof water 
Then when we need it, we bring the water inside the building and we sterilize it with a UV light system. Oh. And then we use it in the, for the plants. Interesting. So speaking, I sort of, I have so many little side questions, everything. Let's see. We might have to keep you for the next section because I'm so interested because this is probably going to be the future of food, right? Because you don't use, you know, a babillion people. Everyone's always trying to figure out how to get labor costs down. Uh, you use, you know, if we're going to go to that uh, Petaluma in California or whatever it is, lettuce farm, we'd see a lot more human beings wandering around, right? That's That's correct. So you've got the labor costs down. You're really thinking about the sustainability part of it. Um, yeah, we should take a let's take a break here. And I'll keep you over the break, and we'll come back and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about this. I do think that this is the future of food, and it's happening in southern Minnesota. And I've got the the guy who knows how to do it. So why why would I let this opportunity go? So we'll have more of this when we come back. Dara here. Yeah, I'm the restaurant critic for Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. I write food and travel. But what I really care about today is spinach and water and lettuce and all these things. I did not realize that Revol Greens, this new company, is so new. I thought they'd been going for a while, but they actually just showed up in stores right after the Super Bowl. So this is Jay Johnson's second company. He he started Bushel Boy and sold that in 2011. And most Minnesotans, I think, at this point know those tomatoes. They're good. They're very good. Um, and they're local and they're reliable and they don't use a lot of pesticides or any pesticides because they're grown indoors. All right, Jay, I have so many questions still and I'm so grateful you're here. Let's kind of go through some of these things. You were telling me just now that not only do you not you know, waste water in the heating process, but just in terms of the water that the plants need to grow, much smaller than just like a lettuce sitting outside in a field in Arizona. Right. The, where they grow lettuce outdoors, either Arizona or California, is the desert climate. So it gets cold at night or cooler at night. So they grow in a real desert climate. And when they wa- water overhead the plants, a lot of that water evaporates. So we can grow a pound of lettuce here in Minnesota in our greenhouse with one-tenth the water that it takes in California or Yuma, Arizona. Interesting. And so uh, just a tenth of the water, that's crazy. And then also uh, the nutrition is better. The plants are, are stay alive, they stay fresh, they stay wholesome. Yeah, the, the reason for being located close to the market and the local is uh, you get the fresh taste, you get uh, longer shelf life, but you also get more nutrition. Like there's just a study that I read uh, that, for example, baby spinach loses half of its nutritional value eight days after it's harvested. So if it takes you four to six days to truck that from California or Arizona, then you have to go through a distribution center to the store. By the time you get it home and eat it, it's lost over half of its nutritional value. Where we can harvest today, have it in the store tomorrow. Yeah, I actually took a, a some of so it comes in these kind of we call these clamshell packs still yes. these kind of cartons yep. here. So I took one of these clamshells of uh, of spinach and cooked it with some garlic and olive oil, and that was just delicious. It was so fresh. So when I talk to farmers, just standard outside farmers before, they tell me that they can't really compete with California baby greens because California baby greens producers are very evil, and they will keep their prices artificially low. Um, at certain times of the year to try to undercut 
local producers. But are you able to compete price-wise versus these giant California producers? Yes, we are with this. And the reason is, and that's what comes with the greenhouse, you have to have a good enough system and a good enough growing team, which we do with Marco and Steve, to get the climate perfect. So we have to get almost 10 times the yield that an outdoor farmer would get to make it work. And you do that by controlling the temperature, the humidity, the watering, the fertilizer. You want to make it almost perfect so that you can get the yields and have continuous yields. Oh, to, fascinating. To compete with uh, either outdoor, any product, tomatoes, cucumbers, any of that. You have to do eight to tenfold in production to make it work. But you can if you can control the inputs, heat, water, fertilizer. So should I ask everybody, this is a Minnesota question, but the heat, does the cold make a difference? Yeah, in the winter we have, uh, we use hot water heat, but we have energy curtains above the greenhouse. So most of the energy escapes through the glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. So we have dual curtains that automatically close once the sun goes down at night. Oh, I've seen With, these. I think they're just like a, uh, almost like a roof come, that comes through, yep, kind yep. of like on it's pulleys. It's a very slow-moving blanket in sections. With They're about a foot apart, so you got an air gap between the two. And we close those at night to uh, reduce. It's about a 50 to 60% energy saver on heat loss. Oh, so this is just so technologically advanced. Obviously, you have to think about all these things, but this is how you can do this one, uh, you know, for those those nights where it's 20 below and it doesn't uh, sink your <laughs> sink your organization. Correct. Yep. And then during the day with the sun, you don't har- you don't use much heat at all even in the winter. Oh, really? Because the sun will heat it up. Oh, fascinating. All right. So, uh, I think that those is probably you know, we have room for a couple more. If you've got questions, 81807 about this whole lettuce situation, I think this is just fascinating. It is, let's talk about the whole pesticide, herbicide, and uh, ruminant situation. So one of the the reason that E. coli gets into these uh, fields, right, is because, uh, let's see if we can say this in a delicate way, um, the uh, excrement of animals, large animals, makes its way into the field, right? That's the that's how this whole E. coli situation has happened in Arizona, and you obviously don't have any stray animals, uh, cows or pigs are not making their way into your greenhouse. Right. Um, e. coli or salmonella both come from the intestines of animals or humans or birds. Oh, God. So we, it could come from the water supply that they're using or animals in the field or in a factory or something where the, someone didn't wash their hands. It could be any of that. But for us, we are totally enclosed in the greenhouse, and no one touches the lettuce that goes through it until it's harvested, that it's in a package before anyone touches it and puts it in a box. Oh, interesting. So we, don't, we don't have to worry about birds or... Or humans. Or The danger or, to us all. So <laughs> so no, no animals are getting in there. Obviously, birds can't get in because you've got this very elite contemporary system. It's not even it's not like an Ikea where a bunch of sparrows are getting in. It's a, uh, a, full, a fully closed, like, technological environment, right? Yeah, we have vents on the roof, but the vents have insect screens on them, so like a net when they open, so you're not going to get any type of animal in there. Okay, so no animals are getting in and then no... Um, crop-eaten bugs, right? So right. that the, 
that's important even if you don't care about the crop eating bugs because you don't have to use pesticides. We don't we don't use pesticides or herbicides and we don't use or we have non-GMO seeds so very oh, this is all very cool. Okay, so the I've been talking to Jay Johnson from Revel Greens. I didn't realize how new this company is, just 10 weeks of production. This is really the future of food and it's it's Minnesota grown, very healthy. I know I have friends who are just smoothie monsters. They eat smoothies all day. This is a good thing to put put into your smoothies. Um all right. Jay Johnson, is there anything I didn't ask you about? This new, brave new world. This is the future of food, right? Yeah, I think it is. Being close to the market and uh, the freshness factor is big and the nutritional value. And I think uh, fresh water in the future is going to be a problem. So if you can grow something with one-tenth of the water, that's going to be a big positive as we go forward. Yeah, I was uh, hosting a visiting winemaker and he's from Napa Valley, and they've had such water problems for 15 years now. And he he's literally in tears. He's like, you have so much water. You don't even know how much water you have. And I, we do, like the whole industry just needs to start getting smarter about water use. I mean, and I guess I don't mean the whole industry. I mean the whole world. The whole world has to start getting smarter about water use. And, and uh, you're on the cutting edge of that, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us your Saturday morning. I had so many questions. You answered them. I really appreciate it. World, if you have more questions, text me, 81807. Otherwise, I'm going to come back, and we're going to have some asparagus recipes. Dara here. Isn't that interesting? Cutting edge. That's some cutting edge technology. So I was talking to Jay Johnson from Revel Green. So it's like the first part of Revolution, R-E-V-O-L, Revel Green's. They're outside of uh, kind of Mankato, Owatonna area, so southern Minnesota company. And the the greens right now, they retail for about 4 bucks a box, $3.99, something like that. And they it's about, uh, I don't know, it's a fair amount of greens. Uh, you know how they are. They kind of puff up, fill one of those big clamshells. It's about the size of a half a gallon or so. Well, maybe that and a third should not be talking about this. Anyway, they are available just just about everywhere, I feel like. So Kowalski's, Lunds and Byerly's, Coburn's, Jerry's, Cub Foods, Hy-Vee, all kinds of places. Very, just very interesting. I got so mad this week. There was a uh, Washington Post story that was just like, there's too much waste in greens. Therefore, everyone should just eat. Um, actually, it wasn't just greens. It was all things, all fresh vegetables. Too much waste in fresh vegetables. So we need to find a better way to feed people like fiber sticks. I was so mad. It was like this, just because there's waste in a system doesn't mean we just throw out thousands of years of human culture to just eat fiber sticks. Ugh, the world drives me crazy sometimes. So I'm very excited that someone is doing something um, proactive and getting forward of this. Eat some lettuce. <clears throat> Your grandma wanted you to eat some lettuce. She was right. I'm I'm just worked up. Okay, now also I've got some asparagus recipes. How am I so worked up about lettuce? Ugh, my life. Okay, these recipes are up on the new WCCO website. They look good. I've got a link from my Facebook page, which is Dara.Grumdahl. I'm just laughing. I cannot believe how worked up I am about lettuce. I'm just on fire. All right, so I've got my asparagus recipes. You can find it at the new 
uh, WCCO website, which is a kind of groovy thing. So it's WCCO.radio.com, and they're right up there. <laughs> so WCCO.radio.com. Asparagus recipes, they're up, and here's what they are. So I've got a top five. So you can have your own Spargle Fest. Spargle Fest. That's what the Germans call the time you eat a lot of asparagus. Meritage has an official Spargle Fest going on right now. Uh, you can go down there in St. Paul if you want, or you cook your own at the farmer's market. All right, number five is the, the CIA Big Batch Chilled Asparagus, and that is not the spy CIA, but from the Culinary Institute of America. And it's just the perfect Big Batch take-it-to-a-potluck recipe. That is up right now. So you can uh, uh, you can make a giant batch of chilled asparagus. Number four, Alice B. Toklas's asparagus with salt and pepper whipped cream. This recipe I just adore. So you just make some salt and pepper whipped cream. You think, oh, I'm, I'm not going to put salt and pepper in my whipped cream until you try it. And then you kind of spoon it over the asparagus. When you bring it to the table, it looks so fancy. You're like, yes, this is me. But you, you, all you're doing is making whipped cream with some salt and pepper in it. Then it just melts into a sauce. It's such a good idea. Alice B. Toklas, you're smart from a long time ago. Good recipe. Number three, Deborah Madison sesame ginger soba noodle asparagus salad. Another very good potluck recipe. So this is a good thing to do. I like a sesame ginger vinaigrette on asparagus. Kind of mixes it up. Very good. You want some hot asparagus? I gotcha. Andrew Zimmern, we got a link to his lovely black bean asparagus. A little jar of that Asian black bean paste. Well, that'll get you through some uh, quite a lot of very excellent vegetable dishes. I do love that very much. And number one, you remember those great mushroom hunters we had on the show a couple weeks ago? Well, I finally got a recipe up of their asparagus and morels. So you're going to take some butter, you're going to cook some morels, then you put some asparagus in it. You're the king. That's the best thing, right? Oh, how, how could you not love that? These are all up at the new WCCO website, wcco.radio.com slash menu, or just go to my Facebook page, Dara.Grumdahl, or follow me on the Twitter bot, Dara, Dear Dara. Dear Dara, why are you so nuts about asparagus and lettuce? Because I am, because that's how it rolls. You got questions that are not that question? Text them. 81807, and I will answer them. Dara here. All right. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, these are one of the lettuces. I just keep talking about lettuce forever. I have seen all of these historic texts, and lettuce is one of those things that we are eating almost unchanged since the the days of Socrates. Uh, It's one of the few foods. Most of our foods are wildly modified. I've seen wild carrots and they're nothing like contemporary carrots, right? Wild carrots are just hard hard little roots, not much of to them at all. And by modified, I mean that they've just been bred over the years to be bigger and tastier and bigger and sweeter and bigger and sweeter and bigger and sweeter. But um, lettuce is, is kind of closest. Lettuce, I think the other one that's the closest to its original state of being is peas. Peas, lettuce, and onions, those three are as kind of... You want to think about what people were eating when they were sitting around in caves, 
you know, 10,000 years ago, they were probably bringing back some of these things. Why is that important? I don't know. It's just interesting. These tech, this greenhouse that <laughs> Raval is so technologically advanced. Oh, my goodness. All right. So getting to your questions, 81807. Um, I got a question about what is the difference between cold press and ice coffee? Uh, that is a good question. All right. So ice coffee is you make a batch of coffee and then you cool it down. That's all you're doing for Cold press is much more involved. Like you're taking cold water, you're soaking it on in with the in with the ground up coffee beans for quite a long time. A lot of people do, you know, overnight, uh, and that's the difference. Cold press is kind of less. People say it's less acidic. Uh, you get different volatile compounds. You know, you know how it is. If you think about, it, you put some put some onions in a pot cover it with cold water, you'd end up with something different than if you put some onions in a pot and boiled it. Those are That's the basic idea. So cold press versus iced coffee. One is just everything's cold all the time, and one was hot, and then it got cold. Um, I got a question about whether veggie burgers are healthier than beef, in my opinion. Uh, no, I don't think – I don't think so at all. Um you know, a lot of, especially like Morningstar Farms or those big brands, like you're just, by the time you've put it all together, you're having a bunch of processed flours, then some processed other oils and flours, and then processed flour again. So it's like, that's what the bun, veggie burger bun situation is. The healthiest, healthiest thing at that situation is the, the tomatoes, lettuce, and ketchup you manage to get on it. I'm a ketchup fan. Ketchup is good for you, and you know beef has a lot of uh, has a lot of other nutrition, protein and fat, and different sends signals to your body differently. I, I think um, so. That's my opinion. I don't you know I don't think that veggie burgers have any great uh, help can make any great health claims. It is always good, however, to have lentils and other legumes. So it could be that if you're having that, I would say like. Taste-wise, I also am the fan of the, just the big grilled portobello. If you have to, if you're going to feed vegans or vegetarians, feed them, feed them big mushrooms. That's I think that's much more delicious. All right, so next week, what are we doing? We've got Alex Roberts from Alma. You know him as the pioneer of all foods, James Beard Award-winning chef. He and I were talking about how hard it is to just keep this very boring message going. This very boring message that in order to eat well. You should eat local and add some veggies to the mix. So how can he and I say the same things for 20 years and get you to pay attention? How do you not get totally bored of the same thing that probably your grandmother was telling you when everybody else has a fancy, you know, Soylent Green and it's made of, uh, I don't know what it's made of. It's made of soybeans and vitamin powder and it's costs more and it's from Silicon Valley. So isn't that better? I actually think it's just called Soylent, not Soylent Green. That's the movie. All right, so Alex Roberts and I are going to talk next week. Um, we'll also probably do some Mother's Day things because uh, if you're hearing my voice and you don't have Mother's Day reservations, get on it. What are you thinking? So till then, enjoy the fact that the birds came back when the ice went out on the lakes and raise a glass to the good sun and the good soil. We are, we are lucky ducks to have this weather right now. And I will meet you next year week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.